Well, hey, welcome to First Church. Good to see everybody. We are one church that meets in more than one location. So this morning, we have family meeting out at Stone Canyon, as well as others who join us online. So if you would take a moment, put your hands together, welcome them into our time of study here today. I had the chance to worship with our Stone Canyon family this past Sunday, and it was awesome. I had an incredible visit with them. And if you haven't visited our Stone Canyon family, our Stone Canyon campus, go and do it sometime. God is doing some awesome stuff out there. So love you guys. Glad you're with us. But I'm also glad to be back here with our North Granite family as well as I get to preach this morning. And I'm excited to continue in our series, Green Country. We've been in this series for the past four weeks, and we're calling this series Green Country because, one, it's the name of the area of Oklahoma we live in, Northeast Oklahoma. And you guys know that. And so throughout this series, we've been celebrating all things Oklahoma. We've had Green Country giveaways in one sermon during this series. We celebrated Oklahoma music in another sermon in this series. We celebrated, we really didn't celebrate, but we talked about town names, Oklahoma city names and how to pronounce those. And we had a good laugh about that. But today, I want to test your general knowledge of Oklahoma. So I've invited a member of our church to come up here and help me out. So if you will Come on up, Lexi. She's going to help me up. Let's give her a round of applause as she comes to the stage. And Lexi is not a native Okie. She's lived here for, I don't know, a few years, but five years out of many years. Uh, but we're going to see how much she's learned about our state since she's been here. So you can come on over here to this side if you want to. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to put some trivia questions about Oklahoma up on the screen. See if you know them. There will be a prize at the end, so there always is. But if she doesn't know, I'll ask you guys to help her out, see if you guys know. So here we go. Here's our first Oklahoma, tri Oklahoma trivia question. In what year did Oklahoma officially become a state? Do you know? 1907. 1907. All right, actually, let me give her a microphone here. Yeah, let's go and give her a round of applause. Yeah, you want to say it into the mic so everybody can hear you? Go ahead, yeah. 1907. There we go. We got it. 1907. Do you know what else happened in 1907? first church became a church. How cool is that? So our state is as old as this, I mean, our church is as old as the state of Oklahoma itself. So that's pretty awesome. Okay, here's our next trivia question. In 2004, the Oklahoma rose was designated the official state flower of Oklahoma, but prior to 2004, what served as the official state flower of our state? I have no clue. You want to just guess a flower or um, anything? I'll give you a hint. Think Christmas. Poinsettia. That's a good guess. Mistletoe. Would, mistletoe. Yeah, all right. Give her a round of applause. How cool is that? I didn't know mistletoe was a flower, but apparently up until 2004, <laughs> it was our state flower. So some of you guys probably knew that. Okay, here's our next question. The very first Girl Scout cookie was sold in what Oklahoma town? Have you any idea? Just you want to guess a town? Tulsa. Tulsa, that's a good guess. No, anybody know? Anybody want to help her out? No one? I think I heard it. Go and put the answer here. Muskogee, Oklahoma is where the first Girl Scout cookie ever was sold. So Muskogee is famous for that. If you're an Okie from Muskogee, you may have known that. Okay, here's our next question. What is the official state drink or beverage of Oklahoma? Tea. Tea? That's, that's a good <laughs> guess. That's a safe guess, I think. But actually, our state drink is... Milk, yeah. I, by the way, milk is also the state drink of Kentucky, so we have that in common, so that's cool. Okay, one more question. See if you can get this one. The World Championship Cow Chip Throw is held. Do you know what a cow chip is? Is it poop? Yeah, it's, yeah, okay, she said it. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, the World Championship Cow Chip Throw is held annually in what Oklahoma town? 
Have any idea? No. Okay, anybody want to help her out? Shout it out. Beaver, Oklahoma. All right, have you been? I don't know who said it. Have you been? Yeah, you have been? Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to go check it out. That sounds awesome. Well, let's give her a round of applause for helping us out. I'll take that. And because, Lexi, you are such a good sport, you get two paid passes to go ice skating at the BOK Center. So you can go have fun. Go on a date with Mike. It'll be awesome. Or take somebody else, whatever. But Mike's her husband, by the way, so... All right, well, it was funny, as I was researching these trivia questions, I was asking different staff members who are from here, maybe lived here for a while, you know, if they knew the answers, and it was funny, I kept hearing the same response over and over again, I've lived here my entire life, and I didn't know that was the case, I didn't know that was true about Oklahoma, and just as you can continue to learn new stuff about the state you live in, even though you may have lived there for a long time, that's kind of how I feel about the 23rd Psalm. I have studied the 23rd Psalm my entire life. I've heard it over and over again. I've heard it at funeral services. I've heard it in church. I went on to Bible college and seminary, and I've studied this both academically and personally. I have known about the 23rd Psalm for years, and yet every time I come back to it, I learn something new. Every time I come back to the 23rd Psalm, I learn something new about God, about myself. For that matter, I learn something new about life. Because the 23rd Psalm is so full of meaning, it's so rich with meaning, and that's why it's taken us four weeks to study six little verses, because it is so full of meaning, but I think there's a lot for us to learn here. And you guys have probably heard this psalm before, if this is your first Sunday with us, if you've been here the past four weeks, you've been hearing it over and over again, but it starts off like this, David writes these words, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, we chose this theme of green country, one, because it's where we live, it's northeast Oklahoma, but also because David refers to the life that God wants to give us as a life of green pastures. See, David's a shepherd, and David knows sheep, and he raised sheep in a wilderness environment, and he knew that a good shepherd had to also know where the green pastures were. Because green, when it comes to geography, is a sign of life and nourishment. And he knew that a good shepherd had to always be aware of where the green pastures were so that his sheep could be taken care of. And so what David is doing is using this as an analogy, as an illustration for the life that God wants to give us, for the relationship that God wants to have with us. When we have God as our shepherd leading us and guiding us, he will lead us to a full life, a content life, a life where we are well-nourished, a life where we will be provided for, a life that is healthy, spiritually healthy and vibrant. And so David wants us to have this type of life and that's why he writes this 23rd Psalm as a guide for how to experience this life. But in my opinion, the most important word in Psalm 23 is the word is. The Lord is my shepherd. He writes this in the present tense because the majority of time when I've heard the 23rd Psalm quoted or read, it's been during a funeral service. And there's nothing wrong with that because this Psalm can be a great comfort to us. But it's more than that. See, when we think of these green pastures that God wants to give us, we think of heaven. You know, one day when we die, God is going to give us a life of green pastures, a life where he provides for us and takes care of us. But that's not the point here that David's trying to make. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, present tense. The Lord leads me now. He guides me now. He makes me now. Everything's in the present tense because right now, God is our shepherd. Right now, God wants to give us 
a full life, a spiritually healthy life. And that's why we've said over and over again in this series that Psalm 23 is a practical guide for how to live a full life, a spiritually healthy life in the here and now. So we're going to look at this psalm one more time, and let's read it again. Psalm 23, verse 1. Go back to verse 1. We'll start at the very beginning, go all the way through. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs, overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." So we've been breaking down this psalm, looking at each section, and today we come to the very last verse of the psalm, the last couple lines that David writes, and look again with me at verse 6 when David writes, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As David concludes this psalm, I think what he's doing here is he's giving us the result of living life with God as your shepherd. He's saying what will happen when you allow God to be your shepherd, when you allow him to lead and guide you through life. And he says two things will happen. The first thing that will happen is that God's goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And then he says God's love will follow you all the days of your life. Meaning you will continue to experience God's goodness, God's love. He will pour that into you and it will overflow from you. And I love the two words here that David uses because this word goodness just means uh, making something better or making something more excellent. If you want to say it like this, the word goodness in this sense means betterness. Now, I know betterness isn't a real word. I may it up but this is what David is saying when Jesus is your shepherd when God leads you through life he will lead you down a better path he will give you a better way of life than the life you've been living than, than the life that this world offers you he will make your life better but then he also uses the word love here and the word love that David uses is a unique Hebrew word that actually means loving kindness what David here is talking about is a tangible act of love. In other words, when God says he loves you, it's not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion. He will show you his love in a very real way. He will demonstrate his love for you in a very real way. It's not just words. He will show you his love on a daily basis. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I think honestly that this right here is the ultimate picture of who our God is. We serve a God who makes sure that his goodness and love is always with us, that his goodness and love never leaves us. Now, normally when I've studied this psalm in the past or several years ago when I've studied this psalm, that's how I would leave this passage. I would say, okay, God's goodness and love is always with me. No matter where I go, it will never leave me. And so isn't that a wonderful thought? That's great. Let's pray and go home. But I think there's a deeper meaning here that we've missed, that we've often overlooked. And it has to do with the phrase, follow me. 
Because David writes that God's goodness and love follow us, come behind us all the days of our lives. But here's the problem. We've talked about this in the series. A good shepherd in this culture did not drive his sheep, meaning did not get behind the sheep and force them to go anywhere. A good shepherd leads his sheep because the sheep recognize his voice. They trust their shepherd. And so the shepherd gets up front and the sheep trust him and they follow him willingly wherever he goes. And yet here as we get to the conclusion of the psalm, David says that God's goodness and love come behind us? follow us but God's not behind us in any way so what exactly is David getting at here what's the point that he's trying to make remember David was a shepherd for the large majority of his young adult life he raised sheep so he knew sheep he knew shepherding practices extremely well and David knew the impact that a flock of sheep could have on their environment on the land around them See, you may not know this, but sheep, when they are mismanaged, can be the most destructive of all livestock. When sheep don't have a good shepherd, when sheep are mismanaged, mismanaged, and they're not balanced properly, they don't herd properly, they can destroy a piece of land in a very short period of time. But on the flip side, when sheep do have a good shepherd, when they do grazed in a balanced way, when they are led properly, they can be the most beneficial of all livestock for two reasons. One, because sheep, they will eat wild weeds, weeds that normally would overtake a field, weeds that would do a lot of harm to vegetation. Sheep will eat those weeds so that they don't do the potential harm that they could do. But something else that sheep do is when they... When they're balanced out properly, they leave behind waste, manure. Can I say manure in church? I'm not sure. I just did. It's better than some words, right? So they leave behind waste, manure, and their waste fertilizes the ground. Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, and Philip Keller, Matt mentioned him last week, he was a shepherd all of his life, and he actually raised sheep in the same environment that David raised sheep, and he says that he has seen derelict pieces of property, derelict ranches that have been turned around, have been restored when a good shepherd brings his sheep across that land because they have that ability to revive, to restore a piece of of property when they are led properly. And Philip Keller says that ancient authors, ancient writers, they knew about this. Listen to what he writes in his book. He says, in ancient literature, sheep were referred to as those of the golden hooves simply because they were regarded and esteemed so highly for their beneficial effect on the land. They left behind them Something worthwhile, productive, beautiful, and beneficial to both themselves and others. Where they had walked, there followed fertility and weed-free land. Where they had, excuse me, where they had lived, there remained beauty and abundance. In other words, when sheep are properly led, when they have a good shepherd... They will have a positive and life-changing impact on their environment, on the land around them. And so let me ask you, is that the same for your life? Is that the case for our church? 
Everywhere we go, do we leave a positive impact, a life-changing positive impact behind us? Because I think that's the deeper application that David is trying to make here. What he's trying to say is, yes, you receive God's goodness and mercy all the days of your life, but with those gifts come responsibility. That goodness and love, that goodness and mercy that you receive from God, it should overflow from you to the environment around you, to the people around you, so that you make a positive impact on the world just by being there. In other words, let me put it this way. When God is your shepherd, a trail of goodness and love will follow you wherever you go. When God is your shepherd, when God is our shepherd, a trail of goodness and love will follow us wherever we go. And I wonder if that's really the case. It's kind of like a teenage boy who's just discovered cologne. Anybody ever been around a teenage boy who's just figured out cologne? You can smell them from a mile away, can't you? I was there at one time. I remember my dad giving me a hard time about it. I know. You can smell them from a mile away. Whether they've been in a room or in a car, you know it because you just open up the door and the, the smell of Stetson will knock you down. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I remember a few years ago, the last church uh, I served at, Alice and I went as sponsors on a trip. We took the students to Johnson Bible College for a retreat. And I remember one night we were trying to get all the guys together in the dorm to go to dinner and we couldn't find this one kid he was missing we knew he's in the dorm somewhere but we couldn't find him and I walked down the hallway looking for him and I didn't have to open a door I didn't have to ask anybody I just followed the scent of his cologne I knew exactly where he was and sure enough I went right to the room where he was because I could smell him and you know and in a similar way that's how we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus the scent of goodness and mercy should follow us wherever we go where people get a taste of God's presence, get a taste of heaven just because we've been there. And again, I wonder, does that describe your life? Because what God wants is for us to take the goodness and love that he has multiplied in us and then multiply it in others. And when we do, we refresh our world and so let me ask, when you leave a situation, when you walk away from a certain circumstance, when you walk away from a conversation, do you leave behind peace or conflict? Do you leave behind gratitude or entitlement? Do you leave behind forgiveness or bitterness? Do you leave behind generosity or selfishness? What impact are you making? What legacy are you leaving behind? In 2010, the Pepsi Corporation, they came out with a new slogan, a new campaign, and it was called this, Refresh Your World. And the whole idea was for every Pepsi product that you bought, Pepsi was going to donate a certain amount of money to a good cause, either a local charity or a worldwide cause. They were going to donate some money, and the idea was the more Pepsi you drink, the more you are refreshing your world. Now, this campaign only lasted for a couple of years. In fact, it ended in 2012 because Pepsi didn't find it profitable. It wasn't working for them like they thought it would. But I'll never forget in 2010 when I first heard that slogan, first heard that campaign, refresh your world. I thought that shouldn't be the slogan of a soft drink company. That should be the slogan of the church. That should be our model. That should be our mission statement because that's what we're here to do. We're here to refresh our world. And we do that when we extend God's goodness and love. We're here to refresh 
the world around us. We're here to refresh people's lives by unleashing a revolution of God's love. And the thing is, David, who writes this psalm to us, Psalm 23, these weren't just words for him. This wasn't just a song that he sang, and he's not just trying to encourage us, but he wasn't really doing it himself. David did this throughout his life. And one of the best examples of David ever doing this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9 when he has this encounter, this meeting with a man named Mephibosheth. If you want to go and put that name up here on the screen, I love this name, Mephibosheth. I mean, that's just fun to say, isn't it? I call him Mephibi for short sometimes, but still, I love this. If I ever have another son, I'm going to name him that. Not really. My wife would kill me. But still, it's a fun name to say, but it's even a better story. See, basically what's going on is David becomes king of Israel. Remember, he was a shepherd boy, but eventually David becomes king of Israel. And after he becomes king, he calls together his servants and he says, is there anybody left? Is there anybody still out there in the kingdom from Saul's family? Now that's interesting because Saul was the previous king. And Saul didn't like David. Saul hated David. Saul declared David his mortal enemy. Saul tried to have David killed, tried to have him executed. He sent out his soldiers to go find David and have him murdered, have him killed. So Saul didn't like David. And typically, when a new king would come to the throne who wasn't of the previous dynasty, what that new king would do is that new king would abolish, would get rid of all the descendants, all the family members, all the bloodline from the previous monarchy because they didn't want any threat to their throne. So when David says, Are there any family members left from Saul's family? Everybody in his court is thinking, we know what David's going to do. He's going to round up all of Saul's family members. Anybody who's left, he's going to have them all executed, have them all killed. So that way, they won't try to steal his throne or get a following and try to fight David for power. He's just going to get rid of them. That's what any king would do. And so David says, anybody left from Saul's family? But we quickly find out he's not wanting to find out if there's any members left of Saul's family to kill them. Look at what happens, 2 Samuel 9 Verse 3, the king, being David, asks, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? David wants to show kindness to the family that had, that had opposed him? He wants to show kindness to the family of Saul, Saul who wanted David dead? He wants to show kindness to the previous king's family? That was unheard of. Why did David want to do this? Well, looking in at his words, is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? See, David wasn't just any other king. David was a man after God's own heart. David lived with God as his shepherd. And David knew that God had shown him goodness and love that he didn't deserve, and now it was his responsibility to let that goodness and love overflow from him to others, even those who didn't deserve it. And the thing is, the same should be true for us. See, just as God shows us goodness and love that we don't deserve, we should do the same for others. And when we do, we refresh our world, we change our world. So that's what David does. He asks, is there anybody left from Saul's family? And somebody says, yep, 
There's one grandson left to Saul. That's it. Everybody else is dead. But there's one grandson left. He's crippled in both legs. His name? Mephibosheth. And he's hiding out. He's not living in Jerusalem or anywhere near it anymore. He's hiding out for fear. Out of fear. And David says, bring him to me. So Mephibosheth is brought before King David. And he's obviously scared to stand before the king because immediately David says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. And then listen to what David says to him. Verse 7. David says to Mephibosheth, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. I'm going to give you back your family's land. Even though I won it fair and square in war, I'm going to give it back to you. In other words, I'm going to give back everything that you've lost and you will always have a seat at my table. Meaning, I'm going to treat you like family. You will be welcome in my court at any time. You can come and sit around my table just as any of my family members would at any time. David here is restoring a gift to Mephibosheth that he didn't deserve. And he's also raising his status, which Mephibosheth knew he didn't deserve. And look at old Mephibosheth's response. Look at what he says, verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It breaks my heart that there are people living in our world that believe this about themselves. It breaks my heart that there are people who look at their lives and think that there is no value there, that they're worthless, that they're as good as a dead dog. It breaks my heart that people feel that way because our world has the uncanny ability of making people feel like this, making people feel worthless. And David knew because God was his shepherd that no one was worthless in God's eyes, that everyone had value in his eyes, even a man who had opposed David as king. And so what does David do? He restores dignity to Mephibosheth's life. And guys, I believe that that is exactly what we are called to do today as followers of Jesus, as members of God's church. I believe that is the church's purpose. See, we believe here that God has placed First Church here at this time, at this point in history, to refresh lives through Northeast Oklahoma and beyond by unleashing a revolution of His love. And if you're new here, if you've only been here a couple weeks, we have a simple mission statement. It's this, love Jesus, love like Jesus. And these aren't just words. This isn't just a phrase that we put on t-shirts or up on a wall out in our lobby. We believe this. This is our way of life. We believe that when you truly live in relationship with Jesus, you will love like him. And as you show people God's love, you will see lives change. That's what we're all about. That's why we're here. That's our way of life. We believe that First Church has been placed here at this spot in history to change the lives of the broken, the hurting, the lonely, the lost. That's why we are here. And that's why I love this church. Because we do that. We believe in that. It's our way of life. And the longer you hang around here, the more you're going to see it firsthand. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago that our Love 918 ministry 
invited you guys to bring canned food and box food to take to the John 316 mission out of Tulsa in order to help those who are needy throughout Northeast Oklahoma. Here's a picture of our team taking canned and boxed food to John 316. And I was told this week that we ended up collecting 1,127 pounds of food in order to take to people in need throughout Northeast Oklahoma. Not only that, we collected 47 turkeys. That is awesome. This week is Thanksgiving, right? That means, yeah, you can applaud for that. That means that 47 families will have a turkey on Thanksgiving that wouldn't have otherwise. We did that as a church, and we don't do that to brag about ourselves because that's who we are. It was just a couple weeks before that that we had to fill the truck Sunday. Because you guys may not know this, but we have a food pantry here on our campus, and people come every single week who are in need in order to have food, people who are desperate. Here's a picture of our Love 918 truck. It was full of food on that day because you guys brought food to help those in need. That was just a couple weeks prior to us collecting food for John 3.16. I was speaking to one of our office workers this week. She was telling me that a few weeks ago we had a lady by our office who was very nervous and wanted some food. And she said, I normally don't ask for food, but I'm desperate right now. She was a single mom of two kids. And she said they lived in this area some time ago and then they moved away. They came back and when they came back, her husband died in a tragic car accident and left her with two young kids. And she said, I don't know what to do. I've never asked for food, but I need help. She came to our food pantry. We gave her a ton of food. But here's the thing, we just don't give out food. We want to build a relationship with people. So some of the workers in our office started to talk with her, tried to get to know her. One lady talked with this lady who came and asked her food for over an hour. They prayed with her. They cried together. And they let her know our church is always here for her in any way that we can be. And they said, this lady left with a smile on her face. She came distraught, but she left comforted. That's what we're here to do. And there are so many other ways that our church wants to make a difference throughout the 918. And I'm just going to go and share with you some of those ways. It was about a month ago, our church supported the Amazing Games. If you don't know what the Amazing Games are, it's kind of like the Special Olympics. And our church has been a sponsor of the Amazing Games ever since it started. And we support this outreach. And I got to go last year for the very first time, and I was touched by it. In fact, I cried a lot in the first year that I went. And so this year, I want to take my family, because I wanted my wife and kids to see what went on during the amazing games. And we've got a ton of church people who go there and volunteer, and life groups that go and help. And so I brought my wife and my two kids. And here's a picture of one of the events of the amazing games. And I don't know if you recognize this little boy right here in the blue pants, but that's my son, Alex. And he's wearing a yellow shirt because all the volunteers, those who helped, got a yellow shirt that day. And Alex looked around what was going on. He was just there to watch. I just wanted him to see it, you know. And he goes, Daddy, can I help too? And I'm like, you bet you can. So we got him a volunteer shirt. He got out there and he helped run one of the games. And he just took it so serious. It was cute. But still, he was out there serving. And when we got done, I looked at him. I said, buddy, I'm so proud of you. I'm just so excited that you wanted to volunteer and help. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. He looked at me and he goes, 
well, Daddy, that's what Jesus would do. Like, you should know that. Why are you even complimenting me? I didn't do it for you. I did it for Jesus. And here's the thing. That's not just something that we're teaching him at home. He's getting that here. In our first kids' ministry, in our early childhood, our kids are getting that. They're learning that, that we're here to impact the world around us. And it's not just our early childhood and our kids, our students too. If you've been here on a Wednesday night, and every now and then I sneak in there where the students are, they don't like me in there because I make them nervous, but still, I sneak in there occasionally. I'm kidding about that. I get to worship with them. We have an amazing worship service that takes place in teaching time, small group time on Wednesday nights. But it's more than just coming together for fun and coming together for authentic worship. They have that. But our students also serve. It wasn't just a couple months ago that our students gave up their Wednesday night programming to go over to Oxford Glen Memory Center to clean up their flower beds and pick up trash out there just to serve. Our junior high ministry right now, they're collecting money to sponsor a child in central India who needs food and needs clothing. It's awesome. Just a few weeks ago, our junior and senior hires on a Wednesday night wrote notes to prisoners that were sent through Kairos Prison Ministry to those in prison to let them know we love them and we're praying for them. Our students get it. We're here to impact the world. And when we say the world, we mean the world. It's not just Northeast Oklahoma. That's where we primarily serve. That's where we live every day. But we want to have a reach beyond Northeast Oklahoma. And that's why throughout the year we have numerous mission trips that take place. And our church supports tons of missionaries all throughout the globe. Our most recent mission trip happened just a few weeks ago where we took 20 people from our church to Mexico. Here's a picture of the group that went. And they got to minister and talk with refugees that were without homes and minister to the people in the area they were in. I've just heard story after story about lives that were changed. And by lives that were changed, I'm not just talking about the people who were in Mexico. I'm talking about this team that went. Their lives were changed. I always say, you want to you have your life changed? Go on a mission trip. It'll do that for you. But probably out of the entire time that I've been here at First Church for two years, one of the moments that I fell in love with this church more than any other time was last Christmas when we gave up our Christmas Eve traditions in order to go and serve people on Christmas Eve. We all came together on Christmas Eve and we boxed up meals and took them to those who were hurting, those who were needy. And if you weren't here last Christmas Eve, take a look at this video. This is what happened. day if you were here that day you know and I just wish we could have got some video clips of us actually going to the homes of people we didn't take a camera out with us we weren't sure if people would like that or not but still lives were changed that day so a lot of you guys have been asking are we going to do that again this year that's been the big question we're getting more and more of those questions we get closer to Christmas and so I want to take a quick moment just to share with you what we're going to do for Christmas this year 
Last year was kind of a unique opportunity because Christmas Sunday and Christmas Eve fell back to back, Sunday, Monday. And so instead of having two of the same, uh, two services back to back, basically, we decided to have services one day, go out and serve the other. We're in a little bit different situation this year. This year we have Christmas Sunday, which will fall on December the 22nd, the Sunday before Christmas. And then Christmas Eve is on Tuesday, December the 24th. So we have a little bit more space in between. And I just want to let you know, our staff here, your lead team, and the leaders of the church, we have been praying about this. We've been looking at every angle. What can we do? Because we want to serve, but then we also want to reach our community as well and in other ways besides just taking meals. What can we do to make this Christmas special and have the most impact? And this is where we've landed. So on Christmas Sunday, December 22nd, we're going to have services here like we always do, Christmas Sunday services, and it's going to be a special service. We're going to have photo booths and all the Christmas music and all that good stuff like always, and it's going to be a powerful service. Invite friends to come that but this is when we're going to do our serve opportunity it's going to be a little bit different because we're going to challenge every single family who comes to worship on that day to take a meal with them when they leave and here's the thing they're not going to be hot ready but ready-made meals like last year we're going to have care packages where the family that we take it to they can fix the meal themselves and therefore they can do it whenever they want to do it if they want to do it on christmas eve then on christmas sunday i mean christmas uh day itself they can fix the meal whenever they want to so that it fits with their schedule but what we want to do is we want every single family on that sunday to leave with a care package and there's going to be a chance to sign up for families we're going to have enough families for everybody last year we ran out of families if you remember that's not going to be the case this year we want you to sign up, take these meals with you as you go. And you can deliver it on Christmas Sunday. You can deliver it on that Monday. But you've got time. You've got a couple days to take the meal to the family that you need to take it to. And that way they can use it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. But it also gives us another opportunity. See, last year we just took meals and we had some information about our church. But this way when we go and we see those people we can invite them to come back for Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, we're going to have three services at our North Garnett campus. All of our campuses are going to come together. Stone Canyon and North Garnett have a huge blowout Christmas Eve service like we've done in the past. But this gives us an opportunity to invite those that we're taking meals to to come back and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are excited about this. So we hope that you will make plans to be here. It's going to be a big day on Christmas Sunday as we celebrate Jesus and as we also take our meals and we take them with us and go and deliver them to people who need them. But also it will be a great invitation, a great opportunity to invite those who are far from God. We're going to give them a meal, but we're also going to invite them to come back and hear about the Christmas story. I can't wait, and I hope that this has a huge impact on our world around us. Because when you do show people love who aren't expecting it, it does change lives. That's what happened to Mephibosheth back in our story. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, look at what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It says in verse 13, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. This was a man who was an outsider. This was a man who wasn't accepted. This was a man who was afraid to live in Jerusalem. And yet, for the rest of his life, he lived in Jerusalem, and he always ate at the king's table. What changed? David showed someone the same love, the same goodness that God had shown him. And the same can happen to us when we do three things. When first of all, when we remember God's goodness and love. We have to keep God's goodness and love always before us. Thanksgiving is coming up. Thanksgiving Day is this week. And as you sit around and you think about all you're thankful for, remember all that comes from God. So show that goodness and love to others. But also, 
This will happen when we are intentional, intentional about sharing God's goodness and love. Because remember, David didn't wait for an opportunity. David was proactive. He went looking for a chance to show goodness and love to someone. And a lot of times in the church, we're more reactive than we are proactive. We gotta be proactive. We gotta be looking for opportunities to extend God's goodness and love. And finally, we will change the world. We will refresh the world. When we, like David, realize the impact is worth the risk. It was a risk for David to do what he did because, hey, Mephibosheth could have revolt. Uh, he could have rebelled against this. He could have led a revolt. This could have backfired, but David took the opportunity to show kindness anyway because he knew it was worth the risk. That's why we do what we do. That's why we get our hands dirty. That's why we get into people's messes in order to help clean up their lives with the gospel of Christ. There was a little boy in North Dakota who got up from his desk one day at school, second grader, and he realized that his pants were wet and there was a puddle all around him. He had had an accident. He was embarrassed because he was too old to be having accidents. And he knew once the other kids in the class heard about this, saw it, he would be a laughingstock. People would make fun of him. They'd mock him. So he didn't know what he was going to do. He knew it was only a matter of moments before everyone in the class realized what had happened. And by the time he looked up and he saw his teacher coming in one direction, he knew once his teacher saw the mess, she was going to point it out. And then he was a goner. But then coming in another direction was a little girl in his class named Beth. And Beth was carrying a goldfish bowl. And she dropped the mic too, apparently, but <laughs> she was carrying a goldfish bowl. Because every day one of the students had to take care of their pet goldfish. She got close to the little boy who had had an accident and she ran right into him dumped the water on him, dropped the goldfish bowl, water went everywhere, the fish was flopping around on the floor. Somebody quickly picked up the fish, put it back in water, but now Beth was the object of ridicule. Beth was embarrassed. Everybody started to make fun of her. And the little boy who had had the accident, he acted like he was offended and mad that Beth had dumped all this water on him, but on the inside he was saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. So Beth and the little boy went and got cleaned up, and when they came back together and had dry clothes on, the little boy looked at Beth and said, did you do that on purpose? And Beth looked at the little boy and said, I've wet my pants before too. The reason why we take meals to people the reason why we step outside of our comfort zones, the reason why we give up a week of work to go on a mission trip, the reason why we invest in people whose lives are dirty, the reason why we go and serve in the way we do and we help the broken, we help the lost, is because we've been there too. We've lived lives that are dirty and messy. We've been broken. We've been lost. And so we go out and we show them the goodness and love of God so that they like us, can live in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today and the chance we've had to open up your word and study it. And we just pray that we can take this challenge from Psalm 23 and go out and make an impact, that we will not just receive your goodness and love on our own and keep it to ourselves, but we will let it overflow from us so that we refresh our world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.